0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. I've entitled this sermon tonight, Practice Some Prayer That Works. <laughs> prayer, folks, is the powerhouse of any church family. It really is. It is the powerhouse, it is the engine room. Of the church. And prayer and preaching go hand in hand. And you may ask yourself quite often, does prayer really work? Does it work? Sometimes when you participate in it, you feel as though your prayers are not going very far. You maybe feel as though they're hitting the ceiling and bouncing off. Maybe you prayed for your loved ones for years and years and years that they would be saved and that they would grow in the grace of God and you haven't seen much evidence of it. And maybe you've even come to the conclusion that prayer doesn't actually really work, that God's actually gone on holiday, that he's not really listening, that he's otherwise occupied. But you know something, folks? When we see, when we experience the effectual consequences of powerful prayer, we can say for certain that it works. It works. Prayer changes lives. Preaching changes lives. Lives, God's word changes people's broken, messy, dark hearts. Prayer works. And prayer is the covenant communication line between believers and their Creator. You see, prayer is creational. God spoke, and all things came into being. And God expects believers to pray. He expects us to communicate with Him. He expects us to talk to Him. Do you ever sit in a prayer meeting, and there's one individual or two individuals in it that hogs the time that you have? They pray for everything, from the country of Peru Peru, to the caravan up in the Port Rush. I remember when I worked in the city mission, there was a wee man came to one of the mission halls, and he used to pray for about half an hour. And he prayed one night about a pastor in a church in Belfast, and he was going on holidays, and he was going on holidays and then he was coming back and then he was going on holidays and he was coming back and the wife was going with him and he was going, you know, and it was a rep- repetitive sort of a thing. And in the middle of it all, he shouted out, and God bless Mr. Paisley at the top of his voice. That's what he shouted out. And the people in the room were totally bamboozled by the prayer. But you know something? God used that wee man to speak to me one day on the Bearsbridge Road when I was going through a rough time. God used that man's prayers. That man was a bin man in East Belfast and he prayed for bin men in Brazil and some of those bin men got saved. Prayer works, folks. It's our covenant communication line with God. It's a line that never closes down. You know the way when we go on holidays and we want to shut off from the world and shut off from church, maybe even for that matter, shut off from all of the the other things that go on, shut off from the job, shut off from the, the phone calls that you get every day, shut off from the emails and all the communication lines? Well, God's covenant communication line never shuts down. It doesn't go on a holiday and it never goes on a sabbatical. But it's something that we ought to be engaged in consistently and constantly. That means you need to pray every day. Not just last thing at night whenever the zeds are coming on your head just hits the pillow. Prayer is vital. That's why you have paused for prayer on a Thursday. That's vital. That is an indispensable part of a believer's life. There's three things that I want to leave with you tonight that focus in on this chapter, these 21 verses. Prayer recognizes God's paternity, who God is as Father. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. There's a, There's a like a bloodline that runs through John's Gospel, where Jesus, towards the beginning of the Gospel, talks about, My hour has not yet come. My hour is not yet. But now we get to John 17 and we find that the hour has now arrived. And who does Jesus lift his eyes up to? Well, he lifts them up to heaven and he speaks to his heavenly Father, his Father. And he recognizes that the time for his ministry is coming to an end and the time for his death and his resurrection are growing ever closer. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be condemned by sinful human beings. But yet he still recognizes the fact that he has a father, that he is his son, And that whenever he is resurrected and he goes to be with the Father again, he ascends into heaven. What we find is that that covenant relationship that has always existed between the Father and the Son will be concrete and will be renewed. You see, there's something poignant about what Jesus has to say. It says glorify your son that the son may glorify you. you there, there's this interchange between God the Father and God the Son because what we don't realize this side of eternity in our relationships, our relationships are all broken. Our relationships are all messy. Our relationships are always, are often not really what they ought to be. Not only in word but also in deed. But this relationship that exists within the Godhead is perfect. It's perfection personified. Jesus is to be arrested, he's be to be condemned by Pilate and others. Yet the unity that exists in the Godhead has not been as is not affected whatsoever by what the world does. And so Jesus said, Look, my time has come. And since you have given authority over all flesh to give to him eternal life to him all you have given to him. Jesus is interested, you see, in this relationship between him and his Father. That's poignant. There's also purpose to it. Because what Jesus Christ came to do was he did not come to do his own work. He came to fulfill the Father's calling on his life. He came to promote And glorify his father. In the Old Testament, there are many examples of sons being sons of a father. They weren't sons of themselves. Their name didn't really mean very much, but they were related to their father. And we see many examples of that. That's the way it was. And Jesus realizes that he is a father, a father who has sent him to do a very specific work. And so he has come to promote his father's own glory. And he recognizes his father. And he says, this is eternal life, that those who know the one and true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent are those who are believers. Believers. You can't be a believer unless you recognize God the Father and you recognize Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You can't. And Jesus came to glorify his Father on earth and he accomplished the work that God sent him to do. And the Father now is, uh, Jesus is talking about how the Father is to glorify him. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, this uh, covenant relationship that exists in the Godhead has always been, always been, unbroken, glorious, majestic, amazing, unique, What are our relationships like? What's your relationship like with your wife, ma'am, if you have one? What's your relationship like with your husband, ladies? What's your relationship like with your eldest child or your youngest child? What's your relationship like with the people that you work with? Do you feel like strangling them with a smile on your face as you do? (coughs) Do you feel like doing that? Or is everything sweetness and light in your workplace? I would doubt it very much. What what are our relationships really like? I'm going to ask you another question. What's your relationship like with God? Because what we see in Christ's high priestly prayer is a perfect relationship. And folks, none of us are going to experience what that perfect relationship is like this side of eternity. but we are going to experience the glorification of eternity future whenever we meet Christ and see him as he is. See, Jesus Christ came to atone for eternal life, for the chosen of God. He came to fulfill that work that he was sent to do, and that's all in the providence of God. Prayer that recognizes God's paternity, Second thing we see verses six to twelve prayer that requests God's protection. Verse six says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the word yours are they, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and I come and, and have come to know the truth, because they have believed that you sent me. What's Jesus asking for here from his Father? Well, you see, Jesus is really very concerned about the people that he's leaving behind. He's concerned about his disciples. He's concerned about his followers. He's concerned about others. He's concerned about those who believe and have believed in him. That the Lord has given to him the elect of God. And who have received the word because they realized that the son came from the father. And he wants them to be protected. He wants them to be looked after after he departs into glory. And what he has to say to the Lord is penetrating. Because what he says to God penetrates the very throne room of heaven itself. And he earnestly prays for those who are in the world, who are affected by the world, who live in the world, but who are not of the world. That's who he's praying for. You may have asked yourself, what is the Lord Jesus doing right now in eternity? Well, he's not idle. He's not in holiday. I tell you what, he's doing. He's praying for you and me. He's praying for us. He's active. And that prayer is real. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on that throne on the Father's right hand praying for you? What an amazing privilege that is! This prayer of Christ penetrates the throne room of heaven. It's also particular in his content. He prays for his own people. He says now they know they, for I have given them the words that you gave me. There's all these interplay between all of these adjective words: I, you, me, they, you, them. And why is that? Because Jesus intercedes for our keeping and their keeping and whoever they are, wherever they are. And he's particular in his prayer. He doesn't just pray for everybody, but he prays for the ones that God has given to him. You see, this prayer is really complicated, actually. It's quite complex in its structure, but it's powerful powerful. Because who does he not pray for? It says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, verse 10, and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world but they are in the world. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name and you have given me them, I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction so that scripture might be fulfilled that's what Christ came to do he came to fulfill scripture and he came to bruise and crush the head of Satan and Christ's greatest desire in his prayer is to pray that we those who know and love a saviour are protected from Satan because God's name is all powerful and Satan is doomed. Prayer that requests God's protection. Third thing we see is the prayer that remembers God's purposes. Verse 13 following says, But now I am coming to you in these things I speak in the world, but they that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of it, just as I am not of it. Prayer that remembers God's all-powerful purposes are perceptible prayers because what Jesus was leaving behind him was a legacy of care a legacy of salvation a legacy of hope you see when we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ we have a wonderful hope we have a hope that does not make us ashamed but a hope of the glory of God and Christ and we have a future a future that is secure in the palms of God's hands. Right there. Secure. And Jesus' greatest desire of all that is that as people have taken on his words and have and have meditated upon his words that they've actually meditated upon they have meditated upon the Father's words, so that Scripture might be fulfilled. And Jesus recognises that he's going back to the Father. And that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him, and that believers are in him as well, because he knows the Father and loves the Father. And because <clears throat> believers love the Lord Jesus Christ, they have also they also love the Father too. What is God's purpose? Well, God's purpose and Jesus Christ's prayer for believers is that they persevere. It's very hard sometimes to keep going and keeping on, keeping on whenever it's hard and tough. And the ability to persevere depends on whether you know or love the Savior or not, because it's very easy to give up. And that process uh, of persevering Is also coupled with what is called sanctification, and sanctification is a process whereby we are made more holy, day after day after day. And that after shape now, maybe not. Sanctification is a process, and it demands resilience. And it demands much more than we could give to it. And that's why it demanded the fact that Christ came to the cross in the first place. So that we might be able to persevere. It's called the perseverance of the saints. And you can't be a saint of God unless you know God. And unless you know his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is our advocate before us and the Father. And it is Jesus who helps us to persevere. Even when it's difficult. Even when your life throws you a curveball or a series of them. Prayer that remembers God's purposes. It's not only perceptible and brings about within us perseverance, but it's also productive. And where do we find that? It says, I do not ask for these only, verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What does that then say to you and I? Well, it says to those who believe that we need to live authentically and powerfully and credibly so that the world has no room to deny Jesus? Of course it will. Because this world's not interested in Jesus, in Christ, in the Father, in the covenant relationship. It's not interested in that because it's self-interested, it's interested in numero uno. It's interested in itself, And therefore believers must be different to the world must not be <clears throat> come across or be in reality self interested. But they need to be self sacrificing. And that's why we need to live as believers authentically, powerfully and credibly, so that the world has no room to point fingers. Of course it will. And it might but it can't point them credibly. And the world needs to look at our lives and say, well, there's something unique and different and changed about that individual, about that church, about that family. That only happens, folks, whenever we live for the Lord the way we ought to. We've come in this Remembrance Sunday to, to public worship. We've come and we've prayed and we have sung and we have listened to the proclamation of the Word of God. And what I want to leave you with tonight is the fact of this, that prayer works. It really does. And it's worth working at. And it's vital that you pray. Pray. Because in praying, we recognize God as Father, Christ as Lord, Holy Spirit as sanctifier and guide. We ask for God's protection, not only just upon us, but upon those in this world who really need him. Those who actually even at this time who don't know that they need him, but they do need him. And prayer also is powerful, folks, and it remembers God's purposes for you and for me, prayer works. It really does. So the next time you ask yourself, does prayer really work? It does. Because people prayed for you. And if you're a believer, their prayers change your life. How many times have we heard the stories of Sunday school teachers praying faithfully for young children in their classes and later in life they came to faith in Jesus Christ? Prayer works, folks. And we ought to pray. And Jesus' high priestly prayer was focused on God's paternity, God's protection, and God's purposes. That's what Christ came to do, He came to fulfill all things he fulfilled all righteousness in in relation to the law but he fulfilled all things in relation to his father as this service comes to a close tonight the hours come the hours come to stop halting between two opinions the hours come to decide for Christ or not as the case may be the hours come when believers need to get together to pray the hours come whenever prayer changes things and changes you. And it's time you practiced it. Because it works. Let us pray.